Psalm 103, 1 through 5. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is. Bless his name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. This is the word of God. All right, let's, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for uh, the great love that you've loved us with, that you still beckon us closer and you're still calling those who don't know you. And thank you for the Psalms and what an expression they are. Uh, sometimes angsty and sometimes rough, sometimes joyous like the one we have tonight. And thank you that your word is always good for our souls and good for our hearts. We ask that you would speak through it to us today. Um, help me to keep my, my thoughts on track and to be pointed and, um, and rooted in your word. In your name, amen. Uh, if you're new, what we're doing, or if you, you haven't been around for a little bit, we're taking the summer to go through the Psalms. So we stopped our discipleship series for just a little bit, and we're going to jump on some random Psalms that Andy and I have selected. And uh, last week, we did Psalm 42. And the psalmist uh, begins talking to his own soul in that psalm. Um, and this week, David, who penned Psalm 103, begins doing the same thing. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul, bless his holy name. And I just want to stop for a second before we really begin to dive in um, and, and notice the word soul there. That, that word is the Hebrew word nefesh. Um, and it means specifically, very specifically, throat. But in their understanding, through your throat is what came life. And that's where your food would come from. And that's where your water would go. And, and so often it was referred to as the entire being. So uh, in the Old Testament, a murderer was called a nefesh slayer because he killed the entire being. And so David opens this psalm with this idea. And he says, I want to bless the Lord with my entire being, everything that is within me. Uh, and so I want to I want to put our first discussion question right there. Uh, what does it look like for you to bless the Lord with your whole being? What does it look like for you to bless the Lord with your whole being? Uh, and now I want to explore the rest of the chapter by asking, why is David excited? Why does he want to bless the Lord? Uh, how should this begin shaping our hearts as we read it and how we interact with the Lord? And so we're going to look at those things. Um, through, through three specific sections. First, we're going to look at the psalmist's excitement. Second, the psalmist's perspective. And then lastly, the psalmist's place. So if you're a note taker, uh, that's psalmist's excitement, perspective, and then place. Uh, let's start with reading verses two through five as we look at the psalmist's excitement. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. So why is David excited? I think that the first reason is that he has a good view of God and himself. He's connecting the attributes of God, um, a good view of God with himself. And what he does is he lists off all these wonderful things that God does, that who God is. He, he forgives, he heals, he redeems, he crowns you with love, 
and mercy. He satisfies you with good. And, and I think those are all really good things, but I think we need to press a little further and ask, why is David so excited? Why should I be? Because when I talk about God's forgiveness or, or God's love, often we speak of it very flippantly. We think, man, yeah, God is a God who forgives. And we think, oh, that's a, that's a great thing. Um, and I think this is where a good view or understanding of self comes in. Um, my wife is a pretty forgiving person. And I know that and I can say that and I can mean in it, but I don't necessarily rejoice in it all the time. I don't run around just praising the forgiveness that my wife uh, gives me when I'm a moron. Um, but when I need forgiveness from her and when I get forgiveness from her, that's when I rejoice in it. And I think this is exactly what David is saying is, man, I have a good view of God, but I also have a good view of me. I need forgiveness. I need healing. I need redemption, love, and mercy. And, and that's why he wants to bless God, because he understands his brokenness. When we understand the depth of our sinfulness, and the depth of our brokenness, it causes us to exalt God's goodness. So rejoice, David rejoices and the attributes of God because he knows he needs them desperately because he is by nature sinful. It reminds me of the parable in, in Luke 7 um, when Jesus tells the story of the two debtors. And Jesus says, the person who is forgiven much loves much. And so in this moment, in the beginning of the psalm, I think David is looking at his life and he's looking at God and saying, I've been forgiven so much. I've been redeemed. I've been healed. He's crowned me with love so much. He satisfies me. He's given me so much mercy. And as he recognizes that, that exalts into praise toward the Father. So he blesses God. So here's your second question. What attribute of God do you get most excited about? Why? What attribute of God do you get most excited about? Why? And then David doesn't just simply apply the goodness of God to himself. He sees beyond himself and how God is working in the world around him. Look at verses 6 through 14. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. I think... In recent decades, the idea of a personal relationship with God has been really, really pressed. And I think that's a very good thing. But I wonder if it hasn't overshadowed our understanding about the fact that when you become a follower of God, you're brought into a community. That your relationship with God is not personal. There are aspects of it that are personal, but it's communal. And it's not only that God is redeeming individuals into personal relationships, but all of creation itself. And David holds both of these views. He talks about 
his personal relationship, how the Lord has benefited him and blessed him and redeemed him. But he also looks at the world around him and the community around him. He speaks about himself as an individual, and that leads him to praise God for all the work that God does. And he starts right off with, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. David looks at the world around him and says, there's oppression. David says, there's evil in the world, and there's a need for justice. Not only is there a need for justice, but David is also pointing to the fact that he can't solve the problem. He needs God to. God's the one who works righteousness and justice. And he knows God will. I think very much so in recent times, we've recognized injustice and we've recognized oppression. And, and what tends to happen is we get very pressed into one specific area and think, man, if we could just solve this problem, that's going to solve them all, but it won't. And so I don't want to minimize racism or, or social injustice, but think of all of the other oppression that goes on. Think about all the things that, that when we say as a society, we don't know how to stop this anymore. What do we do about sex trafficking or abortion? What about spousal abuse or child abuse? How do you solve all these issues? And and I think like David, at some point we say, I don't know what to do, and I don't think I can make all of this go away. But the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. God will eventually fix it. So your next question, what wrong or evil in the world are you most upset about? What wrong or evil in the world are you most upset about? Then David brings up this oppression, and he does something very interesting. He points out the evil and then reminds us that God is merciful. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not keep his anger forever. Verse 9, he does not deal with us according to our sins. Verse 10, he has steadfast love to the, toward those who fear him. 11, removes our transgressions. And verse 12, has compassion for those who love him. Verse 13, and knows that we are just dust. Verse 14. So just as David is looking at his individual relationship and as well as how God deals with all the world, he looks at the justice of God, but also at the mercy. Evil is not just done. It is done by people. People that God wants to join his family. That he wants for them to, to make him Lord and he wants to forgive them. He wants to redeem them. What does justice and mercy look like for those committing the wrong you're upset about? This is your next question. What does justice and mercy look like for those committing the wrong you're upset about? And which do you lean toward wanting to happen? Are you, I just want justice, I want them to be cut off and done, or do you lean toward, man, I just want everybody to have mercy? If I'm honest, I'm, I'm on the justice side, and I need to recenter myself toward the mercy. Uh, so what does justice and mercy look like for those committing the wrong you're upset about? And which, which do you lean toward wanting to happen? 
And so that's the psalmist's excitement. David runs from his individual relationship with God and how blessed he has been by God. And then he looks to the outward oppression in the world and he says, God's going to deal with this. And yet praise him because he's still merciful. Praise him because he can deal with it. And now let's move toward the psalmist's perspective, verses 15 through 19. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone, and in its place it knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. David views his life and he views it and considers God's love at the same time. And he realizes, like my life feels like a long time. Do you remember being a kid or <laughs> being a kid? And it just seemed like everything took forever, man. I mean, school was horrendous. Nap times were the worst. I feel you, Rosie. Um, and, and then as I get older, the faster and faster it seems to go. And I'm like, man, what, what just happened? Like, what happened to the first six months of this year? Like, where did that go? I don't remember. Maybe I'm just getting old and forgetting things. I don't know. Um, I, David looks at his life and says, man, I... I'm a speck on the timeline of history. Like, I'm not even a blip. I'm a speck. I'm, I'm barely a thought on the timeline of history. But God's love, that goes far beyond me. It goes to my children and my children's children. And it came from my father and my grandfather. And, and God's love spans all of history. That is an intensely large amount of love that is unwavered. And we get to experience that love deeply as those who follow him and keep his commandments. To those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. Not only is his love vast, but his kingdom. His kingdom rules over all. His kingdom is greater than any kingdom ever known, bigger than Israel, greater than Rome, and better than America. God's kingdom rules over everything. In Ephesians, Paul reminds us that God's kingdom is over all, and every kingdom on earth is marked by darkness and brokenness. And sitting in that, realizing I exist within multiple kingdoms, that I am, I am subservient to the kingdom of God, but I live in the kingdom of America. And at times I wonder, do we actually feel like God is ruling over all? So here's your, here's your two next questions. Does it feel like God's kingdom is ruling over all right now? And then explain why or why not. And then secondly, being part of God's kingdom, how are you uniquely called to reveal God's kingdom to the broken kingdoms? So does it feel like God's kingdom is ruling over everything right now? Explain your answer. Then how are you uniquely called to reveal God's kingdom to the broken kingdoms? And lastly, 
Let's look at the psalmist's place, verses 20 through 22. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. David closes the psalm uh, by calling the angels and all of creation to bless God. And he can't help it. At this point, David can't contain himself. It's not enough for him to, to, to alone bless God, but his heart yearns for everything to bless God. But the angels already were praising God. And creation was already praising God. David is simply taking his rightful place and joining them in that praise. And when you enter into that place, you become so consumed with the greatness of God that you can't help but call everything back into it as well. And as followers of, of Jesus, because of what Christ has done for us in taking all of the justice of God upon himself and offering us mercy, we can take that place as well. And so the last question that I want you to discuss in your microchurches is what's happened in your life recently that you want to praise God for? What's happened that causes you to step into your rightful place and praise God with all of the angels and all of creation? So I'm going to close in prayer, and then we are going to praise God together and thank him for the mercy that he's given us. Father, you are good. And I, I feel like we haven't even scratched the surface of this psalm. There's so much in it um, that I feel like it, it could take weeks and weeks to work out. But it is a good psalm. And I ask that you'd place it on our hearts and help us to remember the individual view you have with us, but also the grand perspective of you redeeming, calling all of creation to worship. I ask that you would help us to be upset about oppression and want justice, justice, but also love mercy. That you bring us into obedience and loving you as, as you're building your kingdom and we get to be a part of that, praising you. So I ask God that our hearts would be softened to your leading Holy Spirit. I ask that you give us insights into our own hearts and our own lives. Call us to deeply praise God, maybe in ways that we've never done before. In your name, amen.
Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you for redemption. Thank you for the fact that you redeemed all things. You are redeeming everything, not just us, but creation, community. I just ask that we would rejoice in that. We would remember that as we move forward this week. Amen.